As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I didn't catch that. Could you try again? What the fuck? I don't know how to respond to that. Why is my computer talking to me? I didn't say anything. Sorry about that. Isak takes it, turns, breaks into the area away from Chaleta Saar, and rolled across and turned in! And this time, it's into the net from Joe Linton. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... Joe Linton serves up semi-final advantage at the third attempt. The Magpies continue to struggle in front of goal but hit Premier League's halfway house in third place. And Gordon's alive! A couple of transfer rumours that refuse to go away. Hello, this is Pod on the Tide. I am Taylor Payne and we're back with senior writer George Cocken and, of course, Jacob Whitehead as well. Hello, chaps. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing? Are you good? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. How about you? Yes, I'm not too bad. I'm good. It's nice to see everybody's gotten up this morning and not bothered to do anything with their hair and just jumped straight on camera. That's all what we like to see. Uh, and we're joined by George Cocken as well. How are you, George? You okay? No. How's the South? No, I'm sick. I'm ill. I'm sick with cup fever. <laughs> You've got the cup fever, have I you? I have, yeah. What's the prescription that you need for that? Just two more wins. Two more wins. Two more wins. Good. Yeah. You do join me live, Premier in Southampton. Full Alan Partridge. I've got my uh, little tea's, tea coffee making machine beside me. Uh, my shirt press is in full, Excellent. full flow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm up a height. I'm very excited. I'm very nervous. I'm. Yeah, last night felt like it was a game full of pressure and meaning and intensity and all those sorts of things. But um, yeah, we're two games away. Yes, giddiness has started to set in, hasn't it? Two games away from something that we've never experienced before in our lifetimes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, shall we deal with Palace first, lads? Um. Okay, on to the cup then. (laughs) 
So, George, I think it's fair to say we have one toe in the final of the Carabao Cup. One toe at Wembley. Is that? Would you say that's fair to say? I'm not, I think so. I'm not putting any more than a toe in just yet. Let's just say it's a toe. Yeah, I do think so. I mean, again, before the match, people are talking about Wembley and should we book a hotel? Um, should we book train journeys down and things? It's, oh, please don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. But you want to and you're thinking about it. Yeah, I... I guess so. It's just very pleasing that Newcastle came away with a with a win of any sort. It was one of those nights where they again where they had a lot of um dominance of the ball and certainly dominance of chances although you know just not taking them. Uh, very familiar story and it did feel at one stage as if it was going to cost them. Um it felt very it felt like a big game by the end inside the stadium I thought it felt like a proper cup tie. Um you would back Newcastle from this point in the form they're in, 15 games unbeaten in the Premier League, as we know, yeah. to shut Southampton out in the second in the second leg. But no, it's certainly not there yet. And as you know, Eddie Howe was very, very keen to point that out afterwards, that um, it's only half half time, um, all those cliches. But yeah, there's there's one little one little toe already at Wembley puking up last night's beer down Wembley Way. How can a taupe you've got beer? I don't know. Anyway, that's a terrible image. I'm sorry. It's early in the morning. That works for me. Don't worry about it. Uh, Jacob, Joe Linton got his goal, didn't he? Eventually. He had three goals at it. Um, One ruled out for a handball. uh, One which he amazingly put over the bar. Still trying to process how he missed that one. And then eventually some great work by Isak down the right-hand side and he slides the ball across and Joe Linton slams it home uh, for the winner. Um, He did, did... I think he deserved it as as it goes, but the chance that he missed, oh my God, that was awful, wasn't it? I think it's just bizarre how he managed to get three identical chances in that way. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. It's kind of quite a lot of credit for those people who say, oh, put me up front for a Premier League team and I'd score at least one goal a season because I'd just get the chances. And That's the first time I've actually seen that sort of thing happen in the flesh. I mean, first one, I, I'm guessing we'll come on to the handball, but a harsh handball. Second one, Desert Bubble? No, he's just skied it. And then third one, it is kind of the weirdest hat trick <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah, it was very strange, wasn't it, George? And I mean, it, do we have any kind of, does he have any kind of defence with the miss? It, it takes a couple of deflections on its way through. I mean, he should be putting it in the net, shouldn't he? Yeah, it's just that very, very familiar story that we've been seeing, that these big chances are falling to players you wouldn't necessarily want to fall to. You know, Jolinton's finishing is something that we've discussed and seen a lot. By the end, even he couldn't miss that one, surely. It was so close and put in so well for him. But just having that angst and anxiety that it was going to be one of those nights because they could have won, you know, not just the game last night, they could have won the whole time last night. That's certainly how it felt to me. And of course, that frailty came very, very close to costing them. So I think this is, you know, it's difficult to use the phrase, the concern, because they're doing so well. But it's something that we've seen repeatedly over the past few weeks that when they're getting the chances they're not putting them away and so you know it does explain why they're looking at their attacking options in the market and it's something that does need to be addressed because it's you know at some point I don't think you can you can rely on Nick Pope to pull out world-class saves you can't rely on this defense to keep yet another clean sheet 
even though they're churning them out week upon week upon week at the minute. Absolutely. And uh, Jacob, Adam Armstrong, the local lad, I've read something about this thing where people always worry about the former player coming back and scoring the goal, and it always happens. But the stats don't back it up, apparently. But when he came on, I thought, oh, my God. It's just it's set up for him, isn't it? And then, sure enough, he has the ball in the net, uh, and it's, it's ruled out for a handball, an incredible moment. But uh, Adam Armstrong coming on, I, I just knew he was going to do something like that. It's interesting you say the stats don't back it up because it certainly feels like it's always sod's law. Yeah. Maybe just kind of those are the ones you remember. That's it. And that's why it sticks in and it gives you that illusion. I think it hurts more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still going to call it a goal because it looked like a goal at first. Um, and it was such an ugly goal. And you may, maybe that was kind of what it was going to take to beat Nick Pope. After all of this, is going to take the sort of horrible dribbler, elbows, Dan Burns, knees sort of thing to get past him and I think I just you know composed a tweet kind of first goal Nick Pope's conceded since mid-November and I'm then disallowed it felt a little bit like poetic justice after the first one but it was a very strange sensation in the in the stadium because obviously when Newcastle's goal in inverted commas was ruled out VAR, what, what is going? What is the point? What is the point of VAR? I'm sick of fuck. You know, oh, trying to check, checking and rechecking <laughs> the the replays. Yeah. It's like there's, there's no t- there's no touch. There's no touch. And then finally, sort of over half time, seeing all those replays again on bigger screens because certainly around the press box um, at St Mary's, it's just tiny little screens. Was there a brush on the arm there? Could 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 there have been a brush? And then of course the second one happens. It's oh thank God for VAR. Bloody hell, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, good old VAR. And so there was that sort of feeling. I mean, it did feel much more clear-cut, I thought, than the Newcastle one. And again, you know, you're having games stopped and poured over for these tiny little, yeah, tiny little things. It's it's incredibly irritating. But I mean, yeah, the Newcastle one, I still haven't made my mind up, Taylor. I don't, I don't know about you. Well, I mean, I think I think the fact that that we're still discussing it now, and nobody's really came to a came to a consensus on whether it was or wasn't handball, means. Clear and obvious is the is the term that everyone uses, don't they? And it's not clear and obvious, as far as I'm concerned. He doesn't clearly or obviously handball the ball. No, but it would be the clear and obvious. It would be a clear and obvious error to be overturned. Yeah, the ref gives the handball, and you can see from Atwell's perspective why he ends up giving it. Kind of, they had tons of replays at half time, and so once he's given that decision, it needs to be clear and obvious to overturn it. Right, got you. Yeah. And yeah. I think he didn't handball it. But I only think that I don't know for certain. Mm. So I can see why they didn't want to change Atwell's you th- decision. You think he handballed it? You think he handballed it? What, he just looks like the type of person who's going to be walking around handballing? <laughs> what, what does that mean? You think he handballed it, but you don't know? I mean, that's pointers we have to know. Explain yourself, Jacob. Well, just because of the angles of it, you can't quite tell whether it hits his side or his arm. Or kind of, there's, one bit, there's one angle where it looks as if it could have rolled up his arm. There's one where it looks as if it came straight off his side because it's almost like the ball hit him simultaneously you can't actually tell whether it impacted his arm or his chest which bit it bounced off but this is where this rule has has come in isn't it and it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or the the body position of it hits his hand and then he scores in the next motion the goal gets ruled out that is the new law of the game and it's going to cause situations like this where the ball could flick a fingertip and that's it you know the 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 chance is gone the goal goes and I, I don't know. I, I genuinely just think the refs 
made a call on the spot, and and I think VAR needs to look at that and think, you know, has it has that definitely hit his hand in this day and age with all the cameras we have in grounds? Why wasn't there a good enough angle of that where you could see that he actually had or hadn't handled the ball? I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if you can have like a higher burden of proof though, for handballs when you can't say something like a foul. I, I think you've got to have the same sort of yeah burden of proof for both. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on, chaps. We're we're uh, we're a bit restricted for time today, but those attacking substitutes from Eddie Howe in the second half made a real difference. Here's uh, here's the boss himself. I think they all did really well. I think they're they're all different players. They've got different qualities, but um, they made a difference to us. Time in the game when we were maybe just losing our control. Um, they all they all improved our performance. I thought Alex obviously for the goal. It was a huge moment. Um, but Alan uh, Maxi. I thought he was really good with his decision making when he came on and he um, yeah, gave us a different dimension. You could have had an even bigger Sorry, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> Excellent, lovely stuff. Yes, uh, George Alexander, Isaac and Anson Maximum coming on really changed things, didn't they? They, they? they made that Southampton back for take a step back five or six yards and, and the, the spaces started opening up. And like Eddie said there, Alan Maximan's decision making was was good. Uh, he was passing the ball when he needed to. Maybe he's in the past he got into those positions and would go for goal or try to take on an extra man and lose it. But last night he he was excellent when he came on and Alexander Isak for that goal, just astonishing burst of pace and, and getting the ball across. Absolutely. Was it a surprise that that um, that Eddie Howe didn't change his team? Well, sort of yes and no. I mean, no in the sense that. This team has, you know, has been grinding out results and doing well. I thought perhaps they looked a bit tired at Crystal Palace. I mean, I think yeah, they probably looked tired again last night. I think there is a bit of that creeping into the way they're playing. And yeah, I would so, agree with that. Yeah, and so those changes, Isar, Corson, Maximum, were the two that you thought gave them a chance to sort of switch things around a bit. But having kept faith with the same team, it was crying out for a bit of difference, wasn't it? Crying out for just a, a little bit of energy and 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 the kind of stuff that we know St. Maxima can do. He has looked focused, I think, in the last kind of couple of times he's come on, which is good. And then Isak just added that quality, as you say, Taylor, drove Southampton back. It's a beautiful movement yeah. on the right-hand side and then teed up the ball. Again, that's what it needed. The game needed someone really to put the ball on the plate for someone to score because that seemed to be the only way that Newcastle were going to get a goal last night and it made you know it's it's just it's so brilliant for Newcastle to have have those players on the bench to come on and make a difference Jacob Murphy also came on and um, made a difference we'll talk about some of the funny funny things about that in a sec Absolutely, but uh, Isaac coming on, Jacob, the, 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 a game that really lacked quality in finishing um, Isaac came on and provided that moment didn't he and uh, that that turn and run past Kaleta saw leaving him for dead, and then and then getting the ball across. That was what Newcastle were missing, wasn't it? They had had they'd created some chances, but they needed one put on a plate for somebody because it felt up to that point that they weren't going to score regardless of what they did. Yeah, it does feel like this that could be the moment where you see Isaac take his place, kind of back, I guess, in the in the starting eleven, and it came at such an important time because the five minutes before that, Southampton were really on top. I think. The crucial Pope save was just before. Um, they'd have a, they'd had a string of corners. You kind of feel when you let James Ward-Prowse take five set pieces in a row that one's eventually going to go in. Um, and, and it was a real team goal. It was really good. I think Almiron made a really good run in field to pull Salisu, who's kind of a centre-back playing out of position at left-back out of position, to mean that Kletikar was exposed in the wing. 
And George mentioned earlier kind of about the tiredness. And, and I think that is true that they're, they're, they're tired enough that they're not tired, they're not so tired that they aren't doing their running. They're still doing all of their defensive stuff, the stuff they know they have to do. But it feels like they're just missing that extra drop, which they need to kind of really try something, be creative, take risks. And Isaac coming on fresh off the bench. I'm not sure if many other players would have kind of dropped the shoulder given that burst of pace and laid it on. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think that's where that's really noticeable. And was it the easiest chance of three, the final Jelenton one? I think it probably was. Just skimmed along the ground, no bubble. Yeah, I would say so. Really important goal. And, and, and it did feel like that pretty much killed it as the game. Like Southampton weren't wanting to push forward too much after that, a bit too scared to go 2-0 down because that really is game over. And Newcastle were more likely to score for the last 15, 20 minutes or so. George, the, the, the goal will be the moment that's remembered by everybody, but Jacob Murphy is the man who's all over Twitter and social media this morning uh, with gifts of him waving uh, Coletta Carr off the pitch. Um, we've talked about shithousing and the line between that and being a dick. <laughs> I think it's quite close to that, isn't it? But it, it's funny, but, uh, you know, if it was happening to you, you'd be If, raging, if it was happening you? to you, you'd be you'd be doing the thing where you're pointing back to him and then pointing to the tunnel and say, see you there, son, see you there, wouldn't you? You'd be doing all, you'd be doing all of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, rather him yeah. than me, Kalesa Carr, because he's, he, he's not a small small man. I mean, yeah, it's 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 funny. He's he's proving himself to be a proper worky ticket, isn't he, over the last few games. He was doing some of that <laughs> in the last home game, of course, as well, going yes. down, um, going down injured, not seeming to know which part of his body to rub in order for the physio to come on and to get treatment or whatever. Um, but again, it does tell that story of yeah. everybody being in it together. But, I mean, it, it does make for a very, very funny image. Um, there was another moment just before that, I think, when Newcastle had a free kick very, very late on. In fact, it was Trippier's free kick that wasn't too far over. And Sean Longstaff just kicked the ball away. He kicked the ball away deep into Southampton's half. And in fact, one of the Southampton coaching staff <laughs> had to come onto the pitch, run on the pitch to then kick it back upfield. And, you know, Sean was then complaining about that to the referee, about a member of the coaching staff coming onto the field to play. So, you know, they're just at <laughs> it. the trap for him. Just, the trap just con- him Yeah, they're just constantly sort of at it. If you play against that, if you see that happen to your team, you'll be absolutely infuriated. But... Yeah, totally. it also speaks. You know, it it speaks for the team collective. It speaks about that sense that they've got, and they're just taking no shit off anybody and giving out plenty of it. And from a Newcastle perspective, it's um, it's a it's a bit of a delight, I have to say. Oh, it's great fun. Jacob um, Nick Pope was described by Bruno Gimaraes in the post match interview as the best goalkeeper in the world at the moment. Um, he was great against Southampton, and, and he made a world class save against Palace as well. Uh, another clean sheet. Uh, I mean, I, I'm starting to run out of superlatives for him. He's been astonishingly good, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think Nathan Jones agrees as well, calling him, sort of paraphrasing, but the best goalkeeper in the league without doubt. What was really amazing about that Palace save was how unsighted he was, kind of. is through a real thread of boys, oh, yeah, I think, the reaction. through Cher and Botman, and they're, they're big boys. Like, you aren't seeing much through them. Big hand, close range, and then with his feet again, Big one today, today, last night even. Um, I have been <laughs> to bed, I promise. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it's the fact, what's really impressive, it kind of does have that kind of big dog mentality where even though he doesn't, 
isn't facing a high volume of shots. He just feels so safe when the chance does come. And you've got to be so mentally strong to do that. There's still all this old narrative about can he use his feet? But I don't know, when, you, when you're judging the best goalkeeper, who the best goalkeeper in the league is, does anyone really consider that? If he keeps the ball out of the net, I don't think it's a concern, is it, really? That's 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 his job. No, exactly. Between him, George, and that and that back four, they've kept so many clean sheets this season. It's it's astonishing. It's the base for everything that Newcastle have done well, isn't it? Just, not, it's nonsensical now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's like... Um can't really remember what it's like to see Newcastle concede a goal in. I mean, certainly in the league, I saw them concede a couple in at uh, Sheffield Wednesday, but yeah. you just don't expect them to to let a, to let a goal in. And then when they get beyond the de- other teams, get beyond the defence, they've got that man in in the nets. He's he is extraordinary. Um, you just count on him to make ridiculous saves now. And um, yeah, he's um, he is astonishing. You know, hearing he- hearing. Bruno described him as the best goalkeeper in the world. I mean, it's it's difficult to sort of disagree simply because we're seeing it week upon week upon week. Incredible stuff. Well, there we go. Newcastle United are one game away from Wembley. We're going to have a little break. We'll be back in a moment to talk about the ball not going in the net at the other end. Uh, but in the meantime, you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just one ninety nine a month for your first year at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. That's £1.99 a month for your first whole year at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Back in a sec. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So rather than going into any great detail on a fairly underwhelming trip to Selhurst Park, perhaps we can take a closer look at the lack of goals in recent matches. George has uh, had to step away for just a moment, uh, Jacob, so it's just me and you, and we're going to have a little chat about Newcastle's profligacy in front of goal. Uh, we scored three against Leicester on Boxing Day, but five goals from seven games since then, and just two in the last five league fixtures. The ball is not going in the net, is it? No, and it felt like against Palace that really came to a head. Yeah. Although there's no kind of real clear-cut chances, it was much more just kind of a succession of openings which weren't taken. Yeah. Wrote about it after the match, kind of asking how much of a concern it needed to be because sort of only two of Newcastle's frontline players who are Olmeron and Bruno are outperforming their XG, so kind of finishing more chances than they should. Um, and whether that is a worry, like... Callum Wilson is out of form, hasn't scored since the autumn. Doesn't look right, does he? No. Um, I had been quite impressed by him in recent weeks, by the way he turns. Uh, and 
that sounds quite niche, but it sort of felt like... No, I know exactly what you mean. He'd kind of replaced some of his pace with this kind of deviling assortment of turns, kind of like these boxers who kind of lose a bit of hand speed, but kind of really sort out their footwork. And and then I saw Isaac's assist for Joe Linton and what a burst of pace can do. And yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean it's quite hard to avoid the conclusion that it's time for Isaac to come back to the team but um, the other thing I just wanted to add about chances was just how they seem to be falling to weird players because I can't actually say Wilson it doesn't actually feel like he's missed any big chances it feels like the midfield is like Jelinton Longstaff Willock they're missing big chances so that's why they want to leave all the blame at Wilson's door and there's something slightly odd about the system Um, maybe it's just for sheer weight of pullbacks which this Newcastle team seem to do but how they are falling to these midfielders, you don't necessarily want to be on the end of them. Yeah, it's it, it's a funny one with Wilson because, you know, Alan Shearer says about, about himself, when the chances dry up, that's when you start to get worried. If you're missing chances, it's not the end of the world, but you're still getting into positions. But Wilson just doesn't seem to be getting into the positions at the moment. The ball just doesn't seem to be arriving at his feet. And like you say, we've mentioned this a few times, it's dropping to players like Longstaff and like Willock and Joel Linton who were coming in late into the box. And and, and Wilson just seems to be sort of hanging around the six-yard box but not putting himself in the danger zone and not getting on the end of the ball. Yeah, I mean, he, he's interesting as a striker because he's quite a throwback in that he does all of his work in the box. He very rarely touches outside. I think in the first kind of 25 minutes against Palace, he only touched the ball four or five times. Yeah. The issue is just then if you play in that style and you aren't getting the touches, oh, what are you bringing to the sides? Apart from, you know, he's, he's good at leading press, but most of Eddie Howard's forwards are. You kind of hesitate because it's one way if he gets a goal or two, then suddenly that could all change. Is it, it might, might be time for him to have a rest, you know. I, I don't think he's looked right since he came back from the virus and since he came back from illness and injury. He's he's not looked right since he came back in. But, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before. Newcastle aren't completely starved of chances. Trippier has been providing from the right-hand side a lot. Uh, Willock has been providing from the left. In fact, Kieran Trippier has got the the most chances created in the Premier League and second of any player in Europe's big five leagues, 16 big chances created by him. Newcastle just aren't able to put the ball away for him. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, against Palace, they absolutely had Joel Ward. Oh. Palace right back on toast down the Willock side. Bruno came back in the team after looking like he had no ankle to suddenly just sort of play Willock, I think it was about three times in the first 20 minutes yeah. and they couldn't quite carve out Crazy. the killer chance. So yeah, these opportunities are there. I wrote how in the three goalless draws against Palace, which is an aside, I wonder, has that ever happened before? Three goalless draws against the same team in one season? Interesting. Anyway, the XG in that um, says that Newcastle should have scored almost six goals in those three games and, and that's kind of a microcosm. Or some of these issues. I mean, they also need to temper it by saying they've scored far more goals than they have at this point last season. Hmm. Um, they've still kind of... I don't want it to make it sound like it's all doom and gloom. That a couple of players form away from being, you know, back on track. One of the things that, that I've picked up on as well is heading the ball from corners and free kicks just seems to be something that is completely beyond us at the minute. The ball has dropped onto the head of Dan Byrne, it's dropped onto the head of Sven Botman and Fabian Scher 
a number of times. You've got some big lads in the box. The ball gets put in well by Trippier. He's got great delivery, but we don't seem to be able to connect in those situations. Even if we get a good position and there is a chance, the, the header is very rarely on target, is it? Yeah, every header appears to be awkward. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what he's right is that, you know, they, they are a big team and they are getting to headers first. I think it, it could just be a sign that they are being well defended in that they get their head to it, but they are marked up. It's a difficult chance. In which case it gets to something far more technical about corner taking, which is definitely beyond my knowledge of football as to how you create a bit more space for those defenders in the box from corners. But I don't know, like there's all these stats, for example, from corners, kind of, I think only 2% of corners ever go directly in, and, and that rises to about kind of 4% by the time you include second phase. I'm paraphrasing slightly from an article we did last last year. I wonder if there's much difference between in-swingers and out-swingers as well, because obviously if Trippier's taken them on both sides, are we are we more likely to score with an in-swinger or more likely to score with an out-swinger? So trying to remember my knowledge of this article, I think an out-swinger produces far more <laughs> attempts on goal, whereas an in-swinger actually results yeah. in a header far less often. But when that header's connected with, it's far more likely to lead to a goal. Yeah. So overall, I think there's a slight lead for in-swingers if you're trying to kind of score directly. Yeah. But if you get an out-swinger and you're trying to flick it on or you're trying to lob it back to the far post, when you include kind of second phase, out-swingers have their day. I know. I remember back in the day, Brian Clough used to hate out-swinging corners. He used to find players. If somebody took an out-swinging corner, he only wanted in-swinging corners. Uh, but times have moved on, obviously. Uh, Jacob, you've written a, an article about Miggy Armoron as well. And this um, uh, this is completely genuine, by the way. I was talking about Miggy the other night with someone. This is before I'd saw your article. And I said, God, it, it must be like playing against an eel. That's what it must be like. It must be like being up against a worm or an eel or something like that. He's so slippery. He's so tricky. Um, and then I read your article and his nickname was The Eel. Amazing. Yeah, and it's one um, he really didn't like growing up because of this kind of... Yeah, uh, I read that as well, yeah. Uh, how he looked um, compared to this... There's this Paraguayan singer called uh, Peter Langia, um, who sort of skinny, bald, and does dances a bit like Dan Byrne. <laughs> and you can only think what Almiron was thinking in the changing room after the Leicester win, sort of that all of his kind of childhood fears were returning to him. <laughs> um, and, and so I just thought that with that nickname, it was time to actually try and absolve some of that childhood trauma and say, no, it's a good thing to be proud of being the eel because there's all of these amazing traits he has and his journey to the Premier League kind of across the Atlantic to the East Coast is identical to be European ale. It's just a shame that the goals are dried up a bit in the last few matches. Yeah. But 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 he's still creating, I think, against against Southampton in the first half. He was really good. He was getting on the ball early by giving it to him with confidence and saying, go and create something. I mean if Joe Linton puts the puts the ball in the net, there's an assist there for him, isn't there? So Yeah, exactly. And and he's got he had a massive part in in the winning goal as well. So yeah. I mean he's he's not scoring those kind of brilliant long shots anymore but I mean, that's the quality of goal he was scoring in that scoring spree I think means that they're always going to dry up at some point Do you think part of it as well maybe is, is teams have sort of figured out this this little 
triumvirate, this little triangle between him and Bruno and Trippier and the little nice passes that they were playing in and over the top and round the corners and stuff like that. And teams have started to focus on that and technically pick up on it. And, and, and those opportunities are not there as much as they were in the first half of the season. It feels like they aren't as happy letting Almiron drift inside. It feels like they're almost trying to push him to the outside rather than letting him cut in. And I think that just means it's a little bit less direct and it means that Almiron's role then means then becomes creator rather than finisher. And uh, I don't think that his crossing's as good as kind of when he drifts in and dribbles and tries to find people along the floor. Absolutely. Well, the ball might not be going in the net at that end, but there is still some good news. Uh, Newcastle are now unbeaten in their last 15 Premier League games, having won nine and drawn six, which is their longest ever unbeaten run in top flight history. Amazing stuff. 11 goals conceded in the Premier League is fewer than any other side in the division and is their best defensive record in any top flight campaign after 19 games. That's from Mark Carey on The Athletic. The defensive side of things has just been magnificent hasn't it it's amazing just kind of how like this record sort of hanging over them the fact that they haven't been conceding in the first half the fact that they're unbeaten in so many games and in some ways I kind of always wonder if that leads to a bit of pressure you're constantly thinking about that there's a bit of weight on that but the fact that this team aren't doing it it's just really remarkable because I mean if I kind of had the weight of history of kind of four games on me I think I'd crumble to pieces by doing it 15, 16, especially yeah. when you think about how horrific, I think, you know, 2021, most Premier League goals conceded in the calendar year to, to be where they are now. It's, it's stunning. It's incredible. That back line as well. I mean, Nick Pope was, was you know, I, 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 when he came in from Burnley, I thought, well, that's, that's a decent signing, but it wasn't something I was screaming and shouting about. I thought it was a, a good signing and I wasn't sure if he was any better than Dubravka at the time. Kieran Trippi obviously has pedigree, international Champions League player, all that sort of stuff. Um, Sven Botman, untested, young, wasn't sure what was going to happen with him. Fabian Scher, you know, was on his way out of the door under Steve Bruce, hadn't played an awful lot of football. Um, and Dan Byrne is almost a makeshift left-back, if you would. And and this is the meanest and best defence in the Premier League. And to me, it's just absolutely mind-bending. I can't get my head around how good we've been back there. I love where you've got such different personalities in that back four as well. It's not yeah. like you've just got this kind of homogenous wall. You, you've kind of got creative scrapper and trippier you've got this absolutely terrifying hardo and botman you've kind of got this quite suave defender in in, in share and he's kind of raking diagonals and then you've got kind of I, I hesitate to say it but the frivolity of dan burn gambling down the left so yeah that, that's what i really like about it as well kind of the characters you have in this they aren't necessarily big names but as a unit, they just, just works. meld together so well. Absolutely. And just before we go, uh, this one's not Mark Carey and not on The Athletic, um, but this is an astonishing piece of information. This Eddie Howe also becomes the first English manager in the 21st century to go 15 matches unbeaten in the Premier League. What about that? Eh? Amazing stuff. Do you know whose uh, record he uh, was about to, he broke to, uh, to do that? Who'd done 14 before? Was it Alan Pardew? It was. I had a feeling it was. Yeah. I had a feeling it was. Old Silver Fox Pardew. When you're the king, you can do what you want, apparently, as Alan Pardew says. Uh, right then, um, we'll be back after the break with a bit of transfer chat. Sit tight.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So that transfer window is perilously close to slamming shut. It feels like it's only been open for five minutes or so, but we are nearing the end of January. And as far as outgoings are concerned, uh, Jacob, Chris Wood has headed to uh, Nottingham Forest on loan for the rest of the season. Uh, a, a good move for him. Maybe it's not so much for Newcastle when we're struggling to put the ball in the net. From the Forest end, I've completely lost track of a number of strikers they have. And so knowing whereabouts <laughs> yeah. he goes into the pecking order, I was about to say he's gone from being third choice to second choice. But I've got, he started, I've no, didn't he? I've got no idea. He started on Saturday. They've got so many. Um, yes, but um, it, it does mean that Newcastle are lacking a depth piece. Kind of, We know that Isaac and Wilson can get injuries. It means that if one of them misses a game, you don't have that other option off the bench and... Interestingly, Howell said that they aren't looking for a like-for-like replacement. They're just looking for some kind of versatile attacker. And um, that's kind of reflected in the Anthony Gordon interest. Uh, George, Anthony Gordon was a... Taylor, I want to... I, go on. And before we move on, I do want to pay tribute to Chris Wood, I have to say. I don't think he goes with you know Newcastle United supporters wailing and gnashing their teeth or, or kind of in mourning or anything like that. We know that he was a very, very limited striker but he will always be remembered and should always be remembered for the part he played last season he was in that team he was a fundamental member of the team that got that win at Leeds and then stayed in the team when they went on that incredible winning run what was it something like nine wins in 12 whatever it was and he was part of that team he didn't score a lot of goals but at a time when Newcastle quite often lacks in Maxima or Wilson through fitness injuries and so on he was reliable he wasn't just reliable on the pitch in the sense that you knew what you were going to get from him brackets not a lot sometimes but he was also reliable in terms of being able to do what he was told and he was reliable simply in being in being available and that was very valuable for Eddie Howe and it was very valuable for the team so I, I you know I think we should say give give a tribute to say thank you very much to him for what he did last season part of that incredible incredible miraculous uh, recovery last season, and to wish him to wish him the best of luck. Yes, yeah, not sure where he fits into Forest, but you know, go back to what we said in January and what the club said in January, which was yes, twenty five million pounds is too much money. It's a lot of money to spend, but if he's if Newcastle stay up, then it was worth it. And so, Chris Wood, you were worth it. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jacob Anthony Gordon, another name that's been. Uh, Strongly linked. Uh, he was linked in the summer and the story's back with a vengeance. It's a player you know an awful lot about. Not the warmest reaction, I have to be honest, from Newcastle fans as we remember his exploits at St. James's Park recently. Uh, but an interesting one, this. And, and, and Gordon could join Newcastle if uh, if the reports are to be believed. Yeah, well, 
Newcastle and Everton earlier this window is still very far apart in the valuation. But on the proviso that it's done for sensible money, I really think there is a player there. Defensively, works so hard, got a bit of a gobshite about him, which you always want. And George mentioned this to me yesterday, talked about it on social media, but all, all these complaints about how he played at St James's Park and yet kind of at St James's Park here for big banners saying we're not here to be liked, we're here to compete. And that is exactly what I think Gordon was doing on the pitch. He was being annoying. It was that kind of shithousery. Now, now kind of what he's like as a player is a different question. And I think this season is quite hard to go on just because of the absolute dumpster fire, which is Everton yeah. this season. Judge him a bit more of last year, I would say. And, and there's also this kind of tax on him of being a homegrown player who lots of expectations are placed on. And I think Newcastle fans will probably know what that's like whenever a young player comes through the system. It's always, oh, is he the next X or the next Y? And it really puts a quite a lot on that player, especially if the team's not doing that well. So I'd suggest that out of that environment, there really is quite a lot which Anthony Gordon could bring to this team, especially when you compare his profile to someone like Almiron. I think there's a few similarities there, and I'm exploring this in a piece today. Yeah, George, Anthony Gordon is, is one of those players that I think I had an instant dislike to when I was seen him at St James's Park. I watched him play and I watched his behaviour and just thought, oh, I really don't like him at all. He's a little shit. Now, he might be a little shit, but there's a possibility that he could be our little shit very soon, couldn't he? I know exactly what you mean. And um, yes, you've, um, you know, you reference people like Craig Bellamy and stuff like that who, um, who've who come to Newcastle and, of course, then been loved yeah. because they they do that irritating to other teams and, and not to our team. Yeah, I mean, so we know that there have been talks between the two clubs. Certainly the information I got late, late last night was that there was still a huge, huge difference in pricing. There's also a bit of confusion about who was actually making the decisions at Everton. And we know that the club is 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 pretty much up for sale. We also know that they don't have a manager. So it's a very fluid situation that because there were obviously there were there was a kind of movement yesterday evening around the game as if it was going to be very close to happening. So we'll have to see what happens there because, the, as I say, the update I got kind of very late last night was that there was far more work to be done in terms of in terms of money. But there's also a sense that Everton are, are so in need of funds that they might be willing to listen. And again, it doesn't sound like Chelsea, the other team that were competing for him are still in the race so we'll have to see how that how that goes I need to kind of go away now and make some make some phone calls and see what's what yeah but I think there's I think we can say you know I think we can say without any doubt that Newcastle do need reinforcements in that area we've spoken already about the fact they're looking tired yes they have Isak to come in and St Maximan to come in but you know but they're they are light now so Hopefully something will get done. I also um, I spoke to somebody uh, very senior at the club yesterday, and they yep, I mean they confirmed the the Gordon interest, but there was also um, the kind of caveat that there was somebody else that they were looking at in the same position. So that's interesting. Yeah, they haven't put all their eggs in one basket. Fair play. And Jacob Scott McTominay was another name that's uh, that's kept cropping up this week, uh, and this time David Ornstein's Monday column. But it sounds like if it is going to be a move uh, for Scott McTominay, it'll probably be in the summer. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle kind of are of the opinion that doing business this window, 
um, unless it's replacing people, will impact their summer spending and they're much more keen to kind of do it then when the market's a bit, a bit more settled. McTominay's an interesting one. I don't know if he adds that much hugely in terms of the options you've already got. Yeah. And also kind of, is he is he properly a six? As in, as in, he often plays in a two in the middle, but if you kind of want him kind of playing as the deepest of the three, I'm not actually sure if that's a role he'd play. I mean, he'd throw him forward potentially to the eight, which he's done a, a few times for United and looks okay. But but I don't know, it, it feels like you've basically got another Sean Longstaff-style yeah. player in there. And obviously Longstaff's been really important. It's been good, but I, I don't know if that's what Newcastle really are looking to recruit. And does that mean p- p- potentially that the uh, it could be a different deal in January four or six, potentially a loan deal that Eddie Howe has sounded uh, you know very keen to strengthen that position, hasn't he? It all sounds quite quiet on that front at the moment. Um, we did a big piece last week looking at the contenders. The fact that Bruno's injury wasn't serious, I guess, means that there isn't that urgency, but it is still the position they're keen to strengthen on. I just think that Chris Wood's departure means that that kind of front three has become the real priority. On that front, I mean, again, having having kind of the conversations with people at the club, it's it is very interesting just how different the whole atmosphere is from from twelve months ago, where you know effectively Eddie Howe was work, working as director of football as well as head coach, and he was making all the calls. So was Amanda Staveley, so with Meerdad, they were all chipping in and doing stuff. There's a much calmer feeling around the place, which is good and obviously reflective of where they are in the in the table and. You know, it's also partly because they now have Dan Ashworth, who is is leading that team, and um, there's a lot less, you know, there's a lot less sort of stuff coming out um, from those discussions because it's not it's not like five or six people making calls on Newcastle's behalf. It's it's one, and it's it's a much more sort of restricted, uh, closed down. Uh, football club doing doing their business properly, which um, which obviously is a is a good thing. The way they view it is they don't need to do something this month, but they want to, and they would you know, and they hope to if possible. So that's you know that is the the view. I think Eddie Howe would have a slightly different view. I think he would say that they do need to do something, but at this point, I'd be confident of something of something happening. Yeah, and another name that's uh, that's been linked just quickly, Ivan Fresneda is probably going elsewhere. Arsenal and Dortmund are leading the race for his signature, and we are stepping away again, according to David Ornstein on the Athletic. But George, I believe you've got some news about one more potential incoming for Newcastle United. Is that right? Well, I do. I've got some very exciting news. Go on then. There is a new addition to the Newcastle family. Oh, I mean, more specifically, it's it's Christopher Waffle Waffs family <laughs> he and Alice they've had a, a baby boy wow brilliant and um, we're all absolutely delighted for him they're very very proud and I can I can exclusively reveal in a David Ornstein fashion perhaps that he watched watched the semi-final first leg from hospital <laughs> and and little little James has a 100% winning record brilliant. so if that carries on Newcastle will be winning Winning lots of trophies, lovely stuff. So huge congratulations to us. Absolutely um, astonishing to me that James might might only know Newcastle as being a good team. That's amazing, isn't it? He's he's been born at the point when, if you're a Newcastle fan, this is when you want to be born, isn't it? It's also astonishing to me that someone like Chris could actually <laughs> could actually produce a child. I mean, I don't mean that in the um, I don't mean that in the most kind of physical <laughs> sense. I just mean, you know, I, I find it very difficult to view view other people. Um, 
differently to myself as if they can have responsibility and but anyway chris chris was chris was born an old man anyway we're delighted we're absolutely delighted for them huge we congratulations are. um can't wait to see you chris and give you a hug absolutely congratulations chris and all the best to you and the family uh and all the best to little baby james as well that's amazing news Right, the chaps, let's wrap it up. Um, don't forget to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 uh, for your first year. £1.99 a month, sorry, for your first year. That would be cheap, my word. Uh, yes, chaps, thank you very much. Uh, one tour in a cup final. George Culkin, thank you for your time. Oh, exciting. Just one more game and then it's Wembley. Oh, God. Uh, absolutely. And Jacob Whitehead, thanks so much again for your time, mate. Cheers, thank you. I can't quite add the same level of cup feverness, so I'll have to kind of be the <laughs> soothing nurse role. It's more like just a, a light cup cold that you've got, isn't it? <laughs> Rather than a full on, full blown cup. Yeah, fever. I, I need a lemsip, but I don't need antibiotics. Fair play. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks a lot, chaps. And thank you to all of you out there for listening. And congratulations again to Chris Woff. Uh, we shall speak to you very soon. Come on, Newcastle. We are nearly there. Wembley beckons. Cheers. Bye bye. Why is it doing, why is my computer doing that when I've got Do Not Disturb on? I don't know. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.